And now, here they are, the Beatles! Hi, I'm Justin Shears, and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser-known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. Well, how do you do? Hiya, fellas. How you doing? Hi, Jack. Hello, Jack. I asked them how they approached songwriting. And, of course, I got a tricky answer. We normally approach it on the M1. (laughs) Uh, And sort of come up, turn past London, and when we get to Scarborough... We feel we're there. <laughs> well, I asked uh, for as, it. As they say. But, um, no, we just are a very informal approach. We've got no formula at all, you know, for writing songs. We just do it as it happens. Sometimes John can write a line of a song. He can come up and say... Things like that. He could, just say, that. He could just say that. He could just say that to me and I could say... What's no, it? John! And uh, often I disagree with Paul and say, which has been done so many times, it killed it. But then sometimes, you know, we have a real row and I say, <laughs> listen here, John, I don't think that's right. <laughs> but uh, it depends, you know, sometimes there's a line that he does and then I do a line, or sometimes John can write a whole song. Can I? Yes, oh, he's a, he's a wonder when he gets going. Sometimes I can even do that. You can't. I'm a bit of a club myself, but occasionally I can. And I asked John what he thought the future held for the Beatles after the uh, phenomenal success they'd already achieved in so many areas. Well, probably we'll sell less records, less people will go to see the film, we'll write less songs, and we'll all die of failure. <laughs> no, uh, that may be true, but the thing is, we, I think... You tell him, Paul. I think, you know, if we suddenly sort of become a flop, then I think that we'll try to realise that we've become one and get out before we're real failures. You know, I mean, I hate this. And John so we, and I, uh, I hate probably this. carry on. We'll carry on songwriting, probably. In fact, he may say to me, one sunny day, la, 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 Oh, no, cow's listening. And I hit his ball. And there they are, the two songwriting Beatles, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. And here's one of their many hits, A Hard Day's Night, done for you by the Hollywood Strings. By 1964, there could be no doubt that John Lennon and Paul McCartney had, at the tender ages of 24 and 22 respectively, established themselves as successful songwriters. Their own records were running off the shelves, and accolades were flowing thick and fast from all directions. The Beatles were repeatedly asked, especially in this early period, about how their songwriting partnership worked. John and Paul had agreed very early on in their careers that both of their names would appear in the songwriting credits on all discs and album sleeves, regardless of the size of their contribution to each song, thus ensuring an even split of songwriters' royalties. At first, songs were credited to McCartney and Lennon, rather than the standard Lennon and McCartney that has been present since 1963. Naturally, this led reporters, and therefore the public, to imagine that both Beatles contributed equally to each song. Did one write the words and the other one write the music? This was an oft-repeated question in press conferences and interviews for several years. Paul and producer George Martin explain. When John and I wrote, it was basically one of our songs. 
that we'd done kind of off campus. Then we'd meet up and we'd say, well, look, I've got a bit of an idea for one. Goes like this and he'd sort of, we'd finish it together. A lot of songs were written purely by either John or purely by Paul, but in the very early days, they were complete collaborations because they, their ideas were so limited. They said, I'm stuck all line, what have you got? And they really did work with each other very closely. As they got more successful, each wanted to be the kingpin. And so they would listen to the other guy's song and then say, oh God, that's great. I've got to do better. And their collaboration was more of a competition than a collaboration. And they would climb in each other's shoulders eventually to get to what they wanted. Sometimes when you'd write songs, you'd get ones that didn't work out. So then you'd move on and you'd write something that did work out. I was very lucky because when I was writing with John, everything we sat down to write worked out. I mean, I've, I've looked at the sort of figures and with something like just under 300 songs and we'd sit down for like a two or three hour session just because our energy and our willpower was so strong we wouldn't go home without one. During 1963 and 64 scores of artists had recorded Beatles songs in their own particular styles from jazz to classical to instrumental and pop. A good song was a good song and an instant hit if it had a Beatle connection. The Beatles didn't mind, of course, as every cover version sale provided an additional income source for John and Paul as the principal songwriters. However, in this episode, we'll explore the songs that the Beatles didn't officially release themselves, but instead gave away to other acts. And Billy was one of them, Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas was one of his acts. So we knew Billy. We played with them, we played with all the guys on the scene in Liverpool mainly. Brian would say, well, Billy hasn't got a single and he's going in the studio next week. And so John and I were so keen. And, you know, we just loved writing. By then we were, thought we were getting quite good at it, you know. So we said, we'll write one. And, you know, I mean, let's not forget the commercial aspect. I mean, if you wrote another hit, that was more money, and you maybe get a car or something, you know, and we, we weren't averse to that kind of uh, compensation. The Beatles, George playing, of course, lead guitar, and I'll Be On My Way. 
The first song to be given away by John and Paul was to fellow Liverpool act and part of manager Brian Epstein's talent pool, Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas. The Beatles had recorded their only version of I'll Be On My Way for the BBC on the 4th of April 1963, to be broadcast on the 24th of June that year. In the meantime, Billy J. Kramer had recorded his first A-side with his version of the Beatles' Do You Want to Know a Secret? And this track was the B-side. The sun is fading away That's the end of the day As the light turns to moonlight I'll be on my way Just one kiss and I'll go don't show As the June light turns to moonlight I'll be on my way To where the winds don't blow And golden rivers flow This way I will go They were right, I was wrong True love didn't last long As the June light turns to on my way Buddy Holly-inspired I'll Be On My Way. Billy J. Kramer was the recipient of another Lennon and McCartney song for his second single, as Paul explains. He said, yeah, you know, you, you, Billy would love you to write one. So we would sit down and we'd just imagine Billy singing and we'd come up with that quite quickly. We'd stick it on a little demo, normally going down to Dick James's office in uh, Charing Cross Road where he had a little studio and we'd, we'd go and bang a little acetate off, and that'd go across to uh, Billy, and he'd either like it or not, and, well, he did, he liked them, you know. And Bad To Me then came up after that, which uh, was a big hit. If you ever leave me, I'd be sad and blue. Don't you ever leave me, I'm so in love with you. Words in the sky would be sad and lonely if they
a rare acetate demo of Bad To Me, dating from May 1963. Overseen by Beatles producer George Martin, Billy J. Kramer recorded his A-side single version at EMI Studios on the 26th of June 1963. With another Lennon and McCartney composed track, I Call Your Name as the B-side, a song that the Beatles would later record and release themselves, Kramer achieved the first UK number one for a Lennon and McCartney song not recorded by the Beatles. And it wouldn't be the last. Well, now we come to the request. Who's going to give me a request? How about you, Ringo? Uh, I think we'd all like to hear Billy Jay's Bad To Me, please. Okay, Bad To Me, it shall be. Thank you very much, the Beatles. If you ever leave me I'll be sad and blue Don't you ever leave me I'm so in love with you The birds in the sky would be sad and lonely If they knew that I'd lost my one and only They'd be sad if you're back to me The leaves on the trees would be softly sighing If they heard from the breeze that you let me cry and they'd be sad Don't be bad to me But I know you won't leave me Cause you told me so And I've no intention of letting you go Just as long as you let me know You won't be bad to me So the birds in the sky won't be sad and lonely Cause they know that I've got my one and only They'll be glad you're not bad to me But I know you won't leave me cause you told me so of letting you go Just as long as you let me know You won't be bad to me So the birds in the sky Won't be sad and lonely Cause they know that I've got my One and only they'll be glad You're not bad to me They'll be glad You're not bad to me The truth is, some of the songs you'd have, but you'd, you'd not really been able to make them work for you. But it was still a song. So with tip of my tongue, I thought, it's not a bad title. You know, it's memorable. But then how do you get it to work as a song? And the truth was, I never really thought I got this one to work. But then Brian came up and Tommy uh, was one of his boys. And he said, you know, Tommy would love a song. And I said, well, I have got this one caught in my tongue. I said, but I'm not sure about it. But, you know, if he likes it, you can have it. When I want to speak to you, it sometimes takes a week or two to think of things I want to say to you. But words just stay on the tip of my tongue. When the skies are not so blue, there's nothing left for me to do. Just think of something new to 
say to you Good words just stay on the tip of my tongue People say I'm lonely Only you know that's not true Brian Epstein's stablemate Tommy Quickly, backed by the Remo Four. Tip of My Tongue, a song which the Beatles had attempted to record themselves in November 1962, but with disappointing results. Equally as disappointing was that Tommy Quickly's single release didn't even make it into the UK charts, making it only one of two Lennon and McCartney A-sides not to do so. Perhaps George Martin and the Beatles had been proved right to reject it seven months earlier. The Beatles' failed Decca audition on New Year's Day 1962 had preserved three Lennon and McCartney originals, none of which would be recorded again by the Beatles, but all of which would be offered to other artists. This song was one of the first ever written by John and Paul after they had met in mid-1957, and this home recording from 1960 lets us hear its very first incarnation. Thank you. 
Hello Little Girl was handed to fellow Liverpool band The Foremost for their debut single and was recorded in July 1963. Two weeks later, it was recorded by probably the Beatles' main Merseyside rivals, Jerry and the Pacemakers, but it was never released by them. The foremost version got the nod from EMI and made it to number nine in the UK charts. When I see you every day, I say, mm, hello, little girl. When you're passing on your way, I say, mm, hello, little girl. If I see you passing by, I cry, mm, hello, little girl. When I try to catch your eye, I cry. piano demo made by John of his latest offering, I'm In Love. John always claimed that he wrote this song on his own, but Paul maintains that he did have some input. This would be the next song offered to the foremost as their follow-up single to Hello Little Girl, but in similar fashion to that song, I'm In Love was also recorded by Billy J. Kramer, only for the foremost's version to be approved as the single release 
on the 15th of November, been writing quite a bit before I met John and the songs weren't kind of really formed but they weren't bad ideas you know but, but until I got with John I didn't get used to the idea of like well finish it up here it is and make it proper you know so I had a few songs hanging around and I had this idea for this song called World Without Love and then my girlfriend at the time was Jane Asher her brother was Peter Asher Peter was joining up with Gordon Waller to make Peter and Gordon, and who were going to be a pop act, they said, you know, have you got a song? This was the question everyone would say, have you got a song? You know, And being me, I'd sort of say, yeah, and then try and find something. But I thought that one would fit them very well, the nature of their voices and kind of songs they did. And it was their first number one. So I was pleased to be able to do that for them and for Jane. Love, you wrote it quite long ago, no? Yeah, that was written about four years ago, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the old ones. Yeah. John, okay. a record you'd like to hear? What? A record, uh, let me think. I'll, I'd like to hear World Without Love by Peter and Gordon. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. Please lock me away And don't allow the day Here in 
hit for Peter and Gordon in both the UK and the US in February 1964. It had been written by a 16-year-old Paul McCartney and rejected by Billy J. Kramer. One of the more obscure songs given away in this period is one that was written by Paul and rejected by both Billy J. Kramer and The Foremost. John allegedly said at the time that if Kramer recorded this song, Kramer's career would be over. John later described it as another one of Paul's bad attempts at writing a song. Here's Paul's original piano demo, recorded in Paris in January 1964, of One and One is Two. One and One is Two, what am I to do? Now that I'm in love with you. I'm hoping every day I'm gonna hear you say You really make my wish come true Can't you see when I'm holding you near All the things I do Show my love and I'm making it clear One and one is two One and one is two What am I to do Now that I'm in love with you I'm hoping every day I'm gonna hear you say You really make my wish come true Can't you see I've loved you from the start 
Don't you love me too? I love you, but you're breaking my heart. If you only knew what I wanted to, what am I to do now that I'm in love with you? I'm hoping every day I'm gonna hear you say you really make my wish come true. If you say that you're gonna be Having not convinced one of their regular artists to record the song, One and One Is Two was offered to a band called The Strangers with Mike Shannon, who were probably from South Africa and, like this song, were never heard of again. Another track from the Beatles' failed Decca audition was Like Dreamers Do, a song dating back to 1959 and most likely written in its entirety by Paul McCartney. The irony with this particular song was that it was given to a non-EMI band called the Applejacks for their second single, who just so happened to be signed to, you guessed it, Decca Records. So it seems that I will love 
Dreamers Do, recorded in May 64 for Decca and produced by Mike Leander, who would later work with Paul McCartney and the Beatles on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, writing the string arrangements for She's Leaving Home when George Martin was not available to do so. After a number one debut single on both sides of the Atlantic with World Without Love, Peter and Gordon continued along the Lennon and McCartney line with their follow-up single Nobody I Know which reached number 10 in the UK and number 12 in the US. Their third single was also written by Peter's potential brother-in-law. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Paul McCartney of The Beatles speaking. And the next record is one which John and I have written for two very good friends of ours, Peter and Gordon. The song is called I Don't Want to See You Again, but it's not true. Listen. I don't want to see you again planned how can i understand when someone says to me i don't want to see you again why do i cry at night something wrong could be right i hear you say to me i don't want to see you again Peter and Gordon would only release one more McCartney-penned single with Woman in 1966. Paul McCartney used the songwriting pseudonym Bernard Webb to see whether the song would be successful without his name on the label. Needless to say, it only peaked at number 28 in the UK. (laughs) 
time I look into your eyes I see that there, there heaven lies And as I look, I see the love of love Many of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's cast-offs were given to male performers and groups, most of whom were part of the Brian Epstein stable of performers. But one exception to this rule was a young coat-check girl with a very big voice from Liverpool's Cavern Club. Her real name, Priscilla White. Her stage name, Scylla Black. Once I was signed up with Brian and we all came to London, we were all one big family then. Then, when Paul said, I've got a song for you, I said, you used to sing that in the cabin. It's not a new song, Love of the Loved. And he said, I know, but I mean, I think it would be good for you. If I used to sing it on the cabin, it meant that I liked the song. I wouldn't perform a song if I didn't like it. I said, OK, well, I'll do the song, Love of the Loved. And I get to the EMI studios and I was expecting a rock and roll band and they were proper musicians. And oh no, it was just like, there was a seven piece band, it was quite big, or maybe 10 piece. And they had a brass section and I thought, oh no, I'm just gonna sound like somebody <laughs> from Yorkshire, you know, on these Yorkshire band. So I wasn't quite happy actually with Love of the Love, but I was, I was so, thirsty and hungered for fame that I agreed to do it. Love of the Loved, the third Lennon and McCartney original from the Beatles' failed Decca audition, given the Scylla Black and George Martin treatment. Predictably, the song was recorded at EMI Studios, 
and was released in September 1963, where it would reach a modest number 35 in the UK charts. But this was only the beginning of a friendship which would last for decades. When we were making the film, we were, were writing some songs, but one song we wrote wasn't really right for us, and it wouldn't have fitted into the film. This is uh, Scylla's song we were talking about. Yeah. And uh, Scylla, Scylla Black, recorded it for a new record. It's called It's For You. Who has uh, it in that one, Paul? Well, it was me and sort of with a, with a lot of help from John, you know. We we normally help each other. Maybe if John writes a song, um, I sort of say, well, that's no good, and that's very good, and that's no good, and we talk about the song together and work it out, you know. Well, with this one, I'd I'd written it basically, and John said, well, that's no good, and, you know. <laughs> and we talked it over together, and we eventually finished it. And Scylla liked the song, and George Martin, who recorded Scylla, also liked it. So she did it for a new record with um, a sort of jazzy feel to the song, but not really too much. I think it's, uh, if you understand the lyrics and understand the way she does it, so it's a very, it's a, it's a nice kind of song, you know, it's very simple, very sweet, um, very nice anyway. I mean, after um, Anyone I'd a Heart and then You're My World, and then it was George Martin broke the news that, you know, I was yet to do another Beatles song. And I thought, oh, great, this is fantastic. So when I got into the studio, I was just so excited. And the boys came down to the studio, which was great. It was such a, you know, I'm not worthy. It was fantastic to see the guys in the studio, which gave me an extra boost, really. Hello, this is John Lennon of the Beatles. We'd like to play you a song now that Paul and I have just written, especially for Scylla Black. Beautiful girl, a beautiful singer. Hope you like it. Here it is. It's called It's For You. I'd say song. at you and love comes love shows I give my heart and no one knows that I do it's for you at you and love comes love shows I give my 
this year's Missilla Black with It's For You. This is John Lennon of the Beatles. Thanks for listening. It's For You didn't fare as well as Silla Black's previous two number one singles, reaching only number seven on the UK charts. In her enduring career, Silla would record plenty more Beatles numbers for B-sides and album tracks and enjoy success with Step Inside Love, penned specially by Paul as the title song for Silla's own television variety show starting in 1968. All in all, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, regarded now as the most successful songwriting partnership of all time, not only established themselves with the songs written for and recorded by the Beatles, but helped many fellow artists, most of whom hailed from their native Liverpool, get a foothold in the charts with the songs they gave away. Well, that's it for this episode. Next time we'll follow the Beatles back to America for their first real concert tour in late 1964, a time which would see a dramatic increase in the Beatlemania which had gripped the country on their first US visit. Until next time, 